Well, good morning once again, and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. Uh, we want to welcome you who are gathered here in the sanctuary, as well as those watching online and listening on T102. We're grateful that you've decided to join us as we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together this morning. I invite you, if you're able, to stand for our call to worship this morning. It is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Our call to worships many times come from the Psalms, but this morning, and this is from the New Testament, the reason I chose it is because it's, this is a uh, Peter telling the church, this is who you are in Christ, and it's a good reminder for all of us this morning. He tells them, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I invite you to remain standing as we sing our praise songs together this morning.
Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you that we can come together and that we can glorify your name and praise you and thank you for all that you've done. God, you are such a good father. You watch over us each day. You shower us with your grace and your mercy, even when we don't deserve it. Lord, you sent your son to die for us so that we could be brought into relationship with you and forgiven of our sin. God, is such a blessing to be able to come to you 24-7, Lord, to be able to be in constant communication and relationship with you. And we cannot even begin to thank you for the many ways that you work in and through our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to not forget what a blessing it is to be your children and to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. Father, I pray for growth for our congregation, Lord. We pray that you would continue to help us each grow in our own relationship with you. God, it's so easy, especially with the school season just on us, Lord, that it's easy to forget uh, to, to be in relationship with you, to put you first, to continue to come to you um, and to spend that time each day with you. But Lord, you deserve the first place in our life. That's your rightful spot. And so God, I pray that you would show us through your Holy Spirit the places that we don't have you first, where we don't have you as King of King and Lord of Lords in those areas in our life. Help us to look to you for wisdom and guidance and direction. And Lord, I pray that you would show us what it looks like to continually be filled with your Spirit and to live and to walk by the Spirit each day. God, you know that there are many prayer requests and concerns this morning. Um, you know each one, and we trust that in each situation that you will work and in accordance to your will, Lord. We also know that there are many in this room that come bearing heavy burdens and heavy loads. And God, we thank you that your shoulders are so much bigger than ours and that we can put those burdens and those cares and those, those concerns on you and knowing that you 
are the that that you work lord and that you will answer our prayers no matter what it may not always be how we want them answered but lord you answer prayer always and father god we ask that as we continue to worship you this morning that your presence would be in this place that your spirit would just fill this room and lord that we would feel your presence this morning and we pray all of these things in the name of your son who taught us to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you may be seated, and the kids can come forward for children's chat. Good morning. How's it going? Did you have a good week at school? Yeah? Was it hard to wake up some mornings? get back into the swing of things yeah I don't know about you but I'm definitely not a morning person no all right so I want you to show me with a thumbs up or a thumbs down or in the middle how your first week of school went thumbs up for really really good it was good okay anybody in the middle that you're like ah, I'm not really just feeling this whole school thing does anyone have a bad week I really hope not no oh good I'm so glad okay so what do I have here? Can you see this? What is this? Do you know? Seeds. Yes, it's seeds. And what do you do with seeds? They're really tiny. You plant them. You guys can see how tiny that seed is. It is so tiny, right? So what do I need to do once I plant these seeds? Water it. What else? Bury it, yes. Wait. Wait. Yeah, you got to be really patient, right? This thing says about 60 days for it to grow and you to be able to use it. So 60 days is like a long time, right? What else do I need? Sun. sun. Lots and lots of sun. Yes. Water. water. Lots of water too, right? We do need the seeds. You're right. So we're going to be talking about seeds today. Uh, Pastor Joel is going to be doing talking about seeds and planting seeds. So I want to read our scripture passage this morning, or part of it, um, and we're going to talk about what kind of seeds we're supposed to be planting. All right, so it says in 1 Corinthians 3, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth. So, what seeds are we supposed to plant? Are we supposed to plant physical seeds? No. What seeds are we going to plant? Food. Maybe Jesus' love. Yeah. When you tell someone about Jesus and how he came and he died and he rose again, you are planting seeds. Now, it's not seeds that you can see, but it's seeds that people might then take and then it might help them grow in their own relationship. So God tells us to plant the seeds of his word in the gospel by telling people about him, right? And so when you do that, who makes the seed grow? If you tell someone about Jesus, 
God makes it grow. Yes. So our job is just to say, hey, I know this really cool guy. His name is Jesus, right? And Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and he died on the cross for your sin so that you can be in a relationship with him, right? And so our only job is to plant the seeds and to tell people about Jesus. Now, this is a great message for the first week of school because guess what? There are people in your class that might not know Jesus. They might not know that he died on the cross for them, that he loves them so, 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 so very much. And guess what? You can be the ones to tell them about Jesus. That's a really cool thing, right? So I want to challenge you. Are you guys ready for a chance this week to start planting seeds? Tell people about Jesus. Maybe it's the person that you sit next to at lunch or the person that you sit next to on the bus or your best friend. But tell one person about Jesus and plant that seed, okay? And then we can pray for it and we can pray that God would water that seed and that that person would eventually place their faith in Jesus Christ and that that seed would then grow because God is the one who grows the seed. We just have to plant it, right? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these children. I thank you for a great first week of school. God, I pray that you would help us to be seed planters and that we would just be obedient to you and to tell people about you and your love and watch you grow those seeds, Lord. So I pray that you would put it on our hearts and minds uh, to tell people about you um, and that you would grow those seeds that we plant. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tori. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. As we get ready to collect our offering this morning, I just want to remind you once again about the Blue Jug, uh, which is going to go to support the disaster relief efforts that are happening in Maui. And so I encourage you to give as you feel led to give to the offering as well as to the Blue Jug this morning. Our offering does support the Children's Ministry Fund. Very appropriate to collect that offering as we look forward to a new Sunday school year starting, a new year of Awana and all the wonderful things that we have going on here at the church, and uh, more than the offering, we encourage you to be praying as well for those ministries as they begin here this fall. Uh, Also, want to just reiterate for our radio listeners this morning what I said during the announcements this morning about next week, uh, our worship at the park will be happening at our New Knoxville Community Park at 1015 next week, so if you're a radio listener and would love to join us, I encourage you to do that. We'll be at the park uh, next week for worship at the park and fall kickoff. So this time I'll invite the deacons to come forward for our offering.
Please be seated. If you'll join in your Bibles, I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In your pew Bible, it's page 1144. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's building. God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." spirit dwells in your midst if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy that person for god's temple is sacred and you together are that temple do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age you should become fools so that you may become wise for the wisdom is foolishness in god's sight As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to hear your word read this morning. Um, It's just a privilege just to, to know your word and to hear it proclaimed. And so we thank you for that. And as we take time now to study it together, uh, we ask that 
your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you'd open up hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we had our praise and prayer night here in the sanctuary, and I know many of you were here and a part of that, and it was a great night of worship, and we got to pray for our schools and teachers and students as they begin a new school year. Uh, But one part of that night has kind of stuck with me, and I've heard, I've had some conversations with a few of you, and and you noticed this as well, Um, and and I didn't tell him I was going to say this, but I'm going to put Jack on the spot. One of the comments he made uh, during his prayer and his closing was about the unity uh, that, that we uh, long for as Christians, right? To be one in Christ. And, and during our time of worship, we, I, I couldn't help but notice the, the variety of churches that were present here at First Church for that worship night. And it was just a great opportunity to worship together. It didn't matter what church you belong to or whatnot. We were just here for one purpose, and that was to worship God. And that is something, unity in Christ is something that we should all strive for, right? And, and it's something that we dearly lack in this world, right? This world is, is full of disunity. This world is full of division. And this world is full of uh, polarizing takes. And so unity in Christ is something we should strive for. And it is something that, that this world desperately needs. No, it may be easy for us to think that if we just go back to the day of Jesus or, or the apostles or Paul and his missionary journeys, and if we were just part of that early church, then, then we would experience unity and we'd experience that, those things that we long for. We think that the time of the New Testament church was some sort of golden age and they didn't have any sort of problems or issues. But if you've been reading along through Romans and now as we enter into 1 Corinthians, we see that there were plenty of problems that the early church faced. There were plenty of issues that needed to be dealt with. And one of those we see here in 1 Corinthians was the problem of disunity. There was division in the church. There were issues that Paul needed to address with this letter. Now, Paul was familiar with the church. He helped plant it, in fact. During his missionary journeys described in Acts, he, one of his stops along the way was in Corinth. And in Acts 18, it says that Paul spent a whole year and a half there preaching the gospel, teaching people about Jesus. And so he knew these people. He knew this church. He was very well acquainted with it. And sometime later, he writes this letter back to those believers in order to teach them about grace in Christ and and address some of the issues that he saw there. And one of the first issues that he addresses is their disunity. In fact, all the way back in chapter 1, he notes that they had, there was these divisions growing among the church over human leaders. And so Paul wants to make sure to address those issues and to make sure that their unity is restored. And so as we dig into 1 Corinthians 3, I want you to know that the big idea that I see here in this passage is that unity is possible when you build your church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Right? So unity is possible when you build your church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The problem in Corinth is that they were building their foundation on human leaders. There was disunity. There was division. And there were a lot of issues that came out of that. 
And so let's dig into what Paul has to say here in 1 Corinthians 3 and how it might apply to us here in First Church in the year 2023. So the first thing that we see here in these first few verses is that, is that disunity was an issue in that church. And you can see that a divided church cannot stand, right? So that's the problem that Paul is trying to address here. A divided church cannot stand. And their division was over who was in charge or who they were following. Look at verse 4, for example. He says, For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos. Are you not mere human beings? You see, the issue was that they were, they were picking specific people and they were basing their, their structure of their church or their, their beliefs or their, uh, their unity on these particular human leaders, Paul being one of them. But Paul here addresses this and says that's not a good thing. As I mentioned before, we live in a very polarized time, don't we? And if you want any, if you want any evidence of that, all you have to do is post something on social media, right, and see how people respond. Just throw something out there about politics or COVID or race or any of these hot-button issues, and you will see just how divided and polarized we are. Now, it's not that we can't have opinions about those things or we can't have uh, grounded beliefs about those things, but you can just see the evidence of the divided, polarized world that we live in when you start talking about some of those hot-button issues. Now, it's not to say that those things aren't important or that, or that truth is not important. We should never pursue unity at the sake or at the expense of standing on the truth. Uh, Stan, I think you're, you're the one that shared this quote with me. One of your favorites, Adrian Rogers, once said that it's better to be divided over truth than united in error. I think I got that quote right. Right? It's better to be divided over truth than united in error. The problem is, in our world today and in many of our churches, is that we get divided over things that aren't gospel truth, right? That aren't the main thing. And so we start getting worked up over things that are secondary or tertiary issues, and when that happens, then we, we compromise our witness or we, we, we misconstrue the importance of the main thing, which is Christ and Him crucified. I was reading a book this summer, or earlier this year, and there was this idea of theological triage. I know some of you here have uh, spent time as first responders. As a first responder, and you arrive on the scene of an emergency, the first thing that you've got to do is assess the situation, Right? You need to decide what is the most important thing that needs to be dealt with and deal with that thing first. If you're a first responder showing up at the scene and you started dealing with, with minor injuries before you dealt with the major injuries, there'd be an issue, right? There'd be a problem. All first responders know to deal with problems later. And so we need to make sure that we're doing the same thing as a church, right? That we are performing theological triage, that we are making sure that we address the most important thing first and that we are united in that. And yes, there may be some disagreements or we may not see eye to eye on secondary or tertiary issues. And there may be things that we decide to agree to disagree on. But we need to make sure that we are keeping the most important thing the most important thing. We need to make sure that we are keeping Christ at the center of all that we do. 
And so Paul here is addressing that very issue. So, so the, the church is divided. The church has an issue about the leaders that they, are, they have experience with and that they've known. And the church has been, become divided over these diff, into different camps over that issue. And so Paul here says, he goes, I need to address you about this issue. You are acting worldly, he says in verse uh, 2 and 3. He says, you're acting worldly. You see, disunity and division over minor issues, not over gospel truth, but over minor issues, is evidence that we are acting worldly. It's evidence that we don't truly believe the gospel that brings us together as Christians. If we understood the gospel and held that up as first importance, then we wouldn't quarrel or have disagreements or disunity over minor issues. See, the gospel teaches us that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That no human, whether they're a leader or not, is perfect. And so we can't hold them up as such. The gospel teaches us that because we are all sinners in need of a Savior, we are all in the same boat. And we all need to be recipients of that same grace and salvation that only Christ offers. And so it puts us all together as one. See, the reason why, to, again, to specifically address the, uh, the issue of human leaders, the reason why that is so important is because no human leader can possibly be everything that we need them to be. All right, and I'm saying that as your pastor, right? I cannot be everywhere for you, and I cannot be there for you all the time. Human leaders are always going to fall short of your expectations, Human leaders are all are, are fallible, right? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to they're going to fall short of of uh, God's standard and also of our expectations. They're not omnipresent. They're not omniscient. They're they're not omnipotent like God alone is. And so when we start to lift up human leaders, whether it's a pastor or politician or or some other community leader, right? When we start to lift people up like that and place all these unrealistic expectations on them, we're only setting them and ourselves up for failure. When we look at, certain, when we look at human leaders, we, we need to make sure that we're not placing on them expectations that only God can meet for us, that can only be met in and through a relationship with our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our leader. He is our hope. But Paul goes on to say in the next uh, section of verses, in verses 5 through 9, that human leaders do have a part to play in God's plan, right? So it's not that human leaders don't matter or that they are unimportant, but that they are co-laborers. They are co-workers with God, but he is the architect. He goes on to say, what after, what? After all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. You see, when we start to realize that our human leaders cannot be our Savior, then we can start to see them and appreciate them for who they are and what God has called them to do, right? And they do have an important role to play, although for different leaders it may be different things. So in verse 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. 
We need to make sure that we're looking at leaders in, a, in their proper perspective, right? That they have a role to play. They have a very important task. But ultimately, it is God who makes things possible. When we're looking at the life of the church, it is God who makes things grow, right? So it's not, not about Pastor Joel or Pastor Tori. It's not about the elders, right? We all have a very important part to play, but at the end of the day, it is God who works in the lives of individual people. It is God who works in the life of this church. And he is the one who will bring about growth. He's the one that will bring about spiritual maturity. And I think there's a lot of freedom in that for people who are in positions of leadership. I find freedom in that as your pastor. To know that at the end of the day, it is not, the burden is not on me to save anybody's soul. Jesus has done that. He's the one who has made that possible. And it is his Holy Spirit that works in hearts and minds to, to apply that salvation to people's lives. Now, I have a part to play in that. And what I'm doing right now, preaching the word, is an important part of that. And you all have an important part to play in that as well. But at the end of the day, it's God who makes it possible. And so we can, we can rejoice and find peace in knowing that the, the burden does not lay directly on your shoulders or mine, but that through Christ, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, we work with him. God works in us and through us, but he is the one who makes it happen. So what does that mean for us? How do we partner with God in that? Well, Pastor Tori gave us a great example in children's chat, right? That, that image of the seed being planted, right? There's a lot of factors that go into making a seed grow. We can water it. Somebody needs to plant it. Somebody needs to go through and pick some weeds every once in a while so that the weeds don't choke it out. There needs to be plenty of sunshine and water. All of those things we can do and we can contribute, and you may have a part to play in that. But at the end of the day, it's God who makes the seed grow and bear fruit. So some of you may be in positions that are maybe more formal, right? So, so pastor and elders, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, uh, Bible study leaders, those are maybe more formal uh, relationships, right? Where you can allow God to work through you to make a difference in somebody's life. God may be using you to make an impact in children in your Sunday school class. God may be using you to make an impact with the youth at youth group. Or maybe it's an adult Bible study that you are leading, right? You are uh, God's co-worker in that. God is working in you and through you to accomplish his will in the lives of those people. But not all of those uh, opportunities we have to be co-workers with Christ are formal. In fact, most of those opportunities we have are, are informal, right? It may be the relationship you have with your spouse or your kids. You have an opportunity to to demonstrate God's love for them in, in your everyday life. And maybe your neighbors in your community, right? You have an opportunity to, to be a witness for Christ to them in the way that you go about your life and you interact with them. And maybe complete strangers that you interact with at work or at the grocery store or at the gas station. Everybody you meet, you have a chance to to allow God to work through you and in you to impact the lives of everybody you meet. I think I've shared this with you before, but the Pastor Steve at Huntington, the, the pastor I used to work with before we moved to First Church, uh, he said this, and I'm not sure where he got it from, but it's stuck in my mind since then, that it takes the average person 
about 30 interactions with uh, things of faith before they come to trust the interactions, right? That might be attending church. That might be reading their Bible. That might be conversations about spiritual things with friends or family. But on average, it takes a person about 30 interactions to go from unbelief to belief. And the thing is, you may be interaction number one, number 12, you could be number 29, or you could be number 30. You just don't know. And you may never know where you fall in that spot. But as co-workers in God's field, as, as co-workers in God's building, we have an opportunity to make an impact in people's lives. But we need to be willing to do that, right? We need to be willing to be used by God to say that, uh, to, to, to say something to our friends or family, to, be, to offer to pray for somebody or with somebody when they're going through a hard time, to drop off a meal to someone you know is going through a difficult season. You need to be willing to do those things, to step out in faith and ask God to work in you and through you to make a difference. And at the end of the day, you may not know if you're the one planting the seed or watering it or caring for it, or you may be the one to see that spiritual fruit harvested. But at the end of the day, it's God that makes it happen. We get to be willing participants in what God is doing in a person's life. And so I encourage you to think about your situation. Maybe you have an opportunity to volunteer in some of those more formal roles that I mentioned, whether it's Sunday school or youth or adult Bible studies here in the church. Maybe you have an opportunity to serve outside the church to make a difference in somebody's life. Think about those formal opportunities and how you can take advantage of them in your current season of life. But all of us have informal opportunities. Those spur of the moment, spontaneous conversations or interactions with people. The time that we spend with with kids at home or conversations with adult children. You have an opportunity to make an impact in their lives. Don't waste it. Right? Don't, don't neglect the opportunity that you have, but ask God to work in you and through you to make that happen. You need to be willing to allow God to use you to accomplish that. One more thing before we move on to the next point. It's interesting that God... Uh, that, that Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses kind of mixed metaphors, doesn't he? Right Now, your English teacher might tell you that that's a bad idea, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul here uses mixed metaphors. He talks about uh, a field and a building. Right? He talks about how uh, we, as, as co-workers with God, you know, plant a seed and water it and see that fruit come to harvest. And then he transitions to talk about how we are a building built on the foundation of Christ. And so he's using two different metaphors here, right, to, to point us to the same spiritual truth. And I think both of those metaphors are helpful because neither a cultivated field nor a building happens by accident. Right? You can't, you're not going to just walk by a field one day and see neatly planted rows of corn, right? And, and, and all, you know, you're not going to just see that come about by random chance. It takes a lot of effort and preparation on the part of the farmers to prepare the land, to plant it, and to see that heart, and to, to care for it all season long, and then finally to see that harvest come to fruition. In the same way, buildings don't just appear at random, right? It takes, it takes effort from uh, the, the architect 
to the construction crew to all of the, the time and effort and money and resources that goes into a building to make it come to, into reality. Right? Neither a cultivated field nor a building happen by accident. They are intentional projects. In the same way, spiritual growth in the life of individuals and in the life of the church does not happen by accident. Right? It is not something that's just going to happen one day if we um, don't do something about it. If we don't allow God to work in us and through us to make it happen. And so, yes, God is the one who, who, who makes things grow. He is the, the chief architect, right? But we need to be intentional about allowing him to work in our lives. We need to make sure we are setting aside time in our own lives for him to work. We need to make sure we as a church are, are striving to allow God to be first and foremost in everything that we do. Because if we're not intentional about those things, it's not going to happen. If we don't make the time and effort for it, it's not going to happen. We need to be willing to allow God to use us, but we also need to be intentional about those opportunities. Some plant, others water, but at the end of the day, God is the one who makes it grow. The third thing that we can notice here in verse, beginning of verse 10 is that, is that there is one foundation worth building on, and that is the foundation of Christ. So if we're looking for unity in the church, and if unity comes through recognizing that, that God is the one who makes things grow and that he is uh, using human leaders, right? He's working in and through human leaders to make that happen. Then we must also recognize that unity only comes when we make sure that Christ is the one solid foundation of our own lives and in the life of our church. And in verse 10, he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Right? So if we're striving for unity as a church, and if we want to be united in the, in the things that truly and ultimately matter, then the only way that that's possible is by, by building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, by making sure He is first and foremost in our lives and in the life of this church. Christ is the one true solid foundation. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells this story of uh, a parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And, and we're not, I'm not going to go back and read that for you now, but if you'd like to check it out, it's in Matthew chapter 7. But if you read that parable, you will note that the two builders, one builds his house in the sand and the other builds his house on the rock. Both of those builders experienced the same storm, the same flood, the same circumstances. And the one difference between the foolish builder whose house collapsed and the wise builder whose house endured the storm is the foundation that those houses were built on. And Jesus says that the one foundation, he says, those of you who hear my words and put them into practice is like the wise builder. You see, the one foundation that will endure any storm you experience or any hardship you go through is Christ. Anything and everything else can be taken away. And many of you have experienced hardships where, where something, the rug was just pulled out from underneath you. Maybe it's a, a job loss or a, a cancer diagnosis. 
Maybe it's the death of a loved one. But all of us, uh, to some degree or another, have experienced sudden life change where it feels like the, the rug is being pulled out from underneath you. Anything and everything in this world can be taken away from us in a moment's notice. But the one thing that can never be taken away, the one thing that is solid and will stand for all eternity is Christ. So build your life on his foundation. Build the church on his foundation. Now the question is, what are you going to build on it, right? He says here that, that some build with with gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, and some build with wood, hay, and straw. In the day, he's speaking of when Jesus returns, all of those things. I don't want to go too in-depth into this because it builds on what we talked about last week, but we need to make sure that as individuals and as a church, we are investing in what matters. Many of us spend our lives building up things that aren't going to last for eternity. We're investing in things that won't live past today or tomorrow. We need to make sure that we are investing in eternity, that we are building on that foundation of Christ with things that matter, seeking to do his will in our lives and in our church and in our community, seeking to make an impact in people's lives for eternity, to point them to Jesus so that they too may experience his grace and his forgiveness. Those that build their lives for here and now those things will not last in eternity. But he says they, that foundation will last. Paul here is not talking about a person's salvation. We cannot contribute to that on our own. But it's about what we do with the salvation that we have been given. Do we look to build on what Christ has done for us and share that with others? Or do we just keep it to ourselves and focus only on the here and now? God's desire for us is that we look to him and build on the foundation that Christ has given us. Build in a way that will last. And our last point here this morning is that you are all God's temple. Now if you notice in the bulletin, I, I had a little, I wanted to be extremely clear about how Paul was using this word you in our New Testament this morning. See, the English language, we don't have a difference between the singular and the plural you unless you live in the South, right? And in that case, it's pretty clear because they can say y'all are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. He's not saying you as an individual. We are way too individualistic when it comes to our faith at times. We just focus on, on me and Jesus and that's all that matters. Yes, there is an individual component to faith that we are all uh, required to, to deal with. But there's also a, a community component that is important as well. And when Paul here is speaking to the church, he's speaking to all the believers. He says, y'all are God's temple. All of you together are God's temple. You see, the temple was so important because it was the place where God's, uh, the, the focus of God's presence was among his people. And so as Christians, as New Testament believers, we no longer have to go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple there. God's Spirit dwells among His people in individual lives and in the church. And so we need to build on that. We need to live like it. You see, there's, this, there's so, much, so many resources and so much information out there about how best to grow the church. 
right? Church growth strategies and, and the 10 steps you can take to, to bring more people to your church. And, and I'm sure there's some wisdom in a, in a lot of what has to be said. And there's probably a lot of um, unwise things that are put in there. But at the end of the day, I think Paul's on to something here in 1 Corinthians 3 about the best type of church growth strategy. And that is to, to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Keep your focus on Christ. Don't give in to division and disunity over things that don't ultimately matter, but keep your focus on Christ. Build on the foundation that he has laid for you. Keep Christ at the center of everything you do and rinse and repeat, right? Keep your focus where it belongs. And I believe God will take care of the rest. Because all of us are co-workers. We are co-laborers in Christ. And if our main goal is to build on that foundation, to not give in to disunity and division, but stay united in Christ and keep the gospel at the center of everything we do, and if all of us can agree to that and keep that as our main focus, God's going to do something great. God is doing something great. But we just need to keep going and keep the main thing the main thing. And I believe God will bring growth. God, yes, that may be numerically. We got to welcome new members into our church this summer. And that was a wonderful and beautiful and, and, and great thing. But growth isn't just in numbers either. It's in that spiritual maturity. It's in faith in Christ. It's in the way that we love God, love others, and make disciples. And so, yes, God is going to work. God is working. And my prayer is that we continue to build on the foundation that God has laid for us in Christ. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line, that is what matters. I want to close with what Paul closed with in in the final verses of this chapter. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are in Christ, and Christ is of God. You see, at the end of the day, what matters is that we are in Christ, that we keep the main thing the main thing, and God will take care of the rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the promise that you make us in this passage, that you are the chief architect and that unity in our church doesn't come from um, human leaders or, or other things, but it comes when we keep our focus on you and build on the foundation that you have laid for us in Christ. Help us to keep that at the center of all we do in our own lives and in the life of this church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we close our service today. I invite you to stand, if you're able, and sing our closing hymn with us. We're singing... Hymn number 275, How Firm a Foundation, verses 1 and 2.
Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.